Welcome in. Episode number 48 of the Show Before the Show podcast from MILB.com, the official site of minor league baseball. Hi, everybody. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. What's going on, man? Um, not much. Just, um, you know, it's, it's officially March. Uh, I tried to make the most of my leap day. Yeah, what did you do? What did you do for your leap day? Um... I didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel it was like a day I of rest. That's fine. Something That's... yesterday. No, I think I just like a uh, long walk with a dog in the morning and then I worked in the afternoon and eh, it was pretty much it. I am the That's least fine. exciting person possible. No, that's fine. That just means you took the extra day. To yeah, leave. I was resting up for March. Yeah, build up the build up the charges. It's going to be a big month for both of us. Right, exactly. In March. Yes, yeah, so we're just getting ready. I'm Tyler Mom, by the way. He's Sam Dykstra, and we are the uh, the hosts of this little minor league baseball podcast of ours here, which you can find on iTunes. The minor league baseball podcast is there, the show before the show. Rate, review, subscribe, give us your feedback. Let us know what you think of the show before the show. Uh, you can also find us at MILB.com slash podcast, and you can get in touch with us at podcast at milb.com we got uh, we got some great great offers today through the podcast at milb.com uh email address on some really good patio canopies i think <laughs> is what came through today you get those those come through i, to I did too? not get that one no yeah uh, got that I, one and then also um factory designed bluetooth speakers Oh man! Well, so we're getting all the market stuff. for both of those things. So that's fantastic. <laughs> this is what happens when we give out our email address. Yeah, exactly. I don't oh, know please actually combing, use it. Like, who's combing yeah. through these episodes to be like, I gotta send these guys these canopy ads? <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't know. But with that, uh, we welcome you into our final one before spring training trips for both of us. I'm headed down to Arizona a week from today. We are recording this on March 1st, and Sam, you are headed to Florida when? Uh, I'm heading down there on Saturday. Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. So I'm uh, already starting packing. Um, at least that's what I'm telling myself. That sounds um, – yeah, right. I things together. And then Friday night you'll be like, oh, I haven't put any of this in my bag. Yeah, it's all in my room. That's, oh, that's okay. how organized it is. It's in my room. I just that's have like to find first, it and put it in step. a bag. Um, but yeah, heading down Friday. Um, I'm going to be in Phillies camp on Sunday and Yankees camp on Monday and go from there. Outstanding. So – with that, let's kick it off. First strike of episode number 48's three strikes for our opening segment. Spring training trips on the horizon for me, you, and our own Josh Jackson also, uh, who will be headed down to Arizona. And Josh will join us on the show next week. Sam, the prospect you are most excited to see in spring training, uh, you're going to be all up and down the, the coast in Florida and inland, I would imagine. I don't know where the ballparks are in Florida. Are they inland? I would imagine. Some yeah, there's inland. some inland ones. Okay. Yeah, the, the Astros so, are in Kissimmee. The, the Braves are in Lake Buena Vista. I'm just going to call it Orlando. They like calling it Lake Buena Vista. Orlando area. Disney uh, World. So yeah, there's some inland stuff. They like border Disney World, the Braves. Yeah, they're, they're like right on the campus there. So. so, and I would imagine that camp would be heavy with guys who could contend for this question. Who are you most excited to see? Yeah, I'm actually going to Braves camp twice, but the guy I wanted to talk about was uh, J.P. Crawford. Um, I'm really excited to see him in Phillies camp just because, you know, we, we talk so much about the Phillies rebuild, the, the stocking, restocking of their system um, from the Cole Hamels trade, from the Ken Giles trade. But J.P. Crawford is kind of the original guy for them in terms of, you know, he was taken – He's he's a draft pick of theirs. He's somebody who's come up through the system. Uh, he was taken 16th overall back in 2013. <laughs> Just trying to come up with the number. Um, and he he is very much a product of their system. And I want to see where he is now. He's going to be going into AAA Lehigh Valley this year. Uh, you know, very much a candidate to come up after you know Super Two deadline passes. If he can show that he can handle AAA, I want to see. 
just how he kind of fits into this mold of young shortstops right now. Uh, last year, obviously, Francisco Lindor, Carlos Correa were, were both kind of starting that revolution, um, both contenders for AL Rookie of the Year. Then you had Addison Russell, who looks like he's going to be a cornerstone for the Cubs going forward. Uh, there's just this great group of young shortstop talent right now. And Crawford, he's MLB.com's number nine, number five excuse me, overall prospect right now. So he seems like the next guy, uh, if, you, if you already count Corey Seager in the majors, which I think we all can right now, J.P. Crawford seems like the next guy to make that move from the minors to the majors. And where does he fit? Is he with that group? Is he just a notch below? Um, given his kind of skill set, I think he is just slightly below those guys. Um, he's a little below offensively Correa he's a little below Lindor defensively um, but he's definitely a shortstop going forward so I'm going to be interested to see what he what he kind of says about fitting into that mold what the Phillies say about him fitting into that kind of shortstop revolution uh, and just how what kind of shortstop he is in in this kind of growing um, atmosphere at that position. Um, so what about you, Tyler, heading down to Arizona? I uh, There's so many guys for us to pick from in this question. I really, really am excited to see Julio Urias for the first time because I have yet to see him in person. Uh, he's in Major League Camp right now. I'm not sure how long he will stay up there. I would imagine he'll get a good look uh, to see if he could break this season at, Major League, at the Major League level. I don't think he'll be there once opening day comes around for the big leagues. I think he'll probably be sent to, uh, to AAA Oklahoma City. But I'm really excited to get my first look at him in person because the buzz around him is unlike the buzz for basically anybody else in baseball. Uh, I mean, the, even the top other pitching prospects in baseball, like Lucas Giolito, there's a lot of excitement around them, but they're not teenagers who throw basically triple digits from the left side. So I'm really excited to see him. I'm also going to make the commitment once and for all to go watch Joey Gallo and BP. I have yet to witness that live. <laughs> that is something that I am 100% doing this year that I'm also super pumped for. And please get video of that. Yeah, I will. Absolutely. Or just for our own enjoyment. I can I mean, periscope it. Right. Oh, there you go. Oh, what, a, what a time to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the guys who uh, I'm really excited for. I also really want to get a chance to get a look at uh, Orlando Arcia because we've heard so much about him and the the way that he stepped forward as a prospect last year. I want to see that for the next elite shortstop guy climbing up the the ranks, at least on on the Cactus League side. I mean, J.P. Crawford, uh, you know, very fittingly in your answer. So there's yeah. a, a trio of guys down there. But, yeah, Gallo, BP, and I want to see Urias just dominate some dudes. Yeah, and one interesting thing I want to hear back from you on with, in terms of Arcia is everybody talks about his swagger. Yes. He just exudes like he yes. – not that he knows he's like overconfident or anything like that or just knows that he's good and will be good. Um, but he – everybody talks about just the way he carries himself and like he doesn't surprise himself when he does well. And uh, just to see that, how he kind of comes across in person, um, especially coming off the year he had. Uh, yeah, I want to hear back on um, what just how he looks Deal. out there. I interviewed somebody in the the Brewer system last year and was talking about uh, how fun it seems like it must be to watch RC on a daily basis. And he said, "Yeah, just don't tell him that. We don't need his head getting any bigger than this." <laughs> with a laugh. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited to see that. I love the swaggy guys. They make spring training more entertaining than it already is. Get a yeah, chance we'll to find the uh, minor league versions of Joannis Espedes. <laughs> they don't. They don't have the contracts that they're not going into camp on horses like he did today. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep our eyes peeled for sure. 
Strike two, Sam. This is maybe my favorite question that we have had uh, for a three-strike segment, and you came up with it uh, leading into the show today. It was uh, Oscar night on Sunday. Uh, I'm a huge Oscars fan. I'm not like a – I don't want to be like, I'm a big movie buff. Like I don't want to be a nerd that way. But I love the movies. I love going to the movies. I took film classes in college that for some reason have stuck with me way more than like the journalism and broadcasting classes that I took, (laughs) which probably isn't good. So I love the movies and I nerd out on the Oscars annually. But this was a question you came up with, which I love. If a prospect's story – any prospect in all of minor league baseball was made into a movie. What is the best picture candidate? What is the best story to be made into a movie to contend for an Oscar? Sam Fireway. Yeah, so I'm of kind of two minds of this. Um, the first is like, what is one of the favorite stories I've ever covered? Um, and the first that came to mind was the C.J. Edwards story. Um, a guy coming from. You know, very, very small town, Georgia, always just a wiry kid, very small. But he was playing with, you know, his uncle. Uh, he was playing with much older guys. And just to he- it, it's your basic small town story. And I don't know, you know, a lot of these are kind of movie cliches, but uh, I think a lot of movies are cliched. Um, so it's in, in the nuances. But with him, um, just going from, you know, a guy who was drafted in a round that doesn't even exist anymore. He was taken in the low 40s by the Rangers and just the way he's kind of built his way up, uh, you know, to become known as a string bean slinger. Uh, you know, we'll see how that story ends. We don't know how it ends yet. Uh, he's got a little bit of major league time and under him, he's made a move to a reliever. So it's not like he's built himself from the low forties to Cy Young candidate exactly, or having any kind of future like that, but he still has the electric fastball, uh, to make it as a major league reliever. Um, if the Cubs decide that that is his future. So I really like just small town success stories. Um, so that would be interesting. The other one, uh, it's kind of, I don't know if you remember, there was that documentary a couple of years ago, Pelotero. Uh, yes. Which, yeah. Which featured Miguel Sano. Miguel Sano. Yeah. And, I, and not so much that, but I think there's such a movement in this country right now with talk of, you know, opening up relations with the two countries towards Cuba. And, you know, we've talked a lot about, Cuban prospects coming over and it seems like that's going to be even a bigger wave today. It was announced that the Tampa Bay Rays are going to play a game in Cuba. Um, So I think the country is kind of ripe for a cool Cuban story. And I think Yon Mankata's story, once his career is over, would make just such an interesting story going from just everybody has their really interesting defecting story. So that would be the beginning. But then you arrive in this country for him, a guy who was paid upwards of $30 million for his signing bonus. And you go from a life in Cuba where, you know, nobody has that kind of money to all of a sudden all of that, plus the expectations that you have to build towards a, towards a major league future. Uh, Last year, he spent the entire year in Greenville. Um, Actually, he started out in extended spring training. They didn't even let him go to Greenville until later in the summer. Um, so I, I'm going to be really interested just to see him build on that, both carrying the expectations of a nation um, now with the, the way our countries are are changing between us and Cuba, um, how that's going to change his ability to go home, um, how, how it's going to change the ability for the Cuban people to watch him. There's just so many different very or very different ways to come at that story that I think would be very interesting either as, you know, doc, best documentary is an Oscar category. So either as that, or just as a, as a best picture, as a, just a, uh, narrative film. Um, so those are just the kind of two minds on that. When I, when I came up with the question, what kind of came into your head? 
Uh, there are a couple of stories that are kind of same way are sort of divergent in their, their backgrounds and they're not divergent movies. That was a, I wasn't even a pun I was trying to run <laughs> into, but man, that was a terrible, terrible pun. You, you caught it just as oh, like, oh, oh, that was awful. Um, gift and Gope really stuck out to me as being kind of the, I don't want to say the, the classic or the cliche story, but that kid's story is so fascinating. If you haven't read it, there've been a lot of profiles of him, uh, gift and Gope, a pirate's prospect who could make the big leagues this year. He would be the first native born African player to make the major leagues grew up in South Africa. And his story is so interesting because because he's not a kid who you know moved over to the United States or moved to a place where they really play a ton of baseball on a much larger level than they do. There's a good South African baseball community, but it's certainly not what it is in a whole lot of other countries. But he grew up literally in a clubhouse. His mother, Maureen, worked as a clubhouse manager for the Randberg Mets, who were his local team. And that's where they lived, Gift and his mom. And Gift turned into this slick fielding infielder who could hit a little bit, was scouted, was signed, made it to the to the minor leagues, and has climbed pretty steadily through the minor league ranks on the Pirate system and reached AAA Indianapolis last year. I think Gift's story would be really cool. And Talking about stories that, you know, you felt the the most attached to when you covered them. Steve Namark, to me, who I wrote a story about a couple of weeks ago for the site, really stands out as being one of those guys as well. Uh, out of high school, lost a scholarship to college, kind of kicked around working dead-end jobs for four years. And then all of a sudden, basically on a lark, goes to throw in a men's league, gets signed to a junior college, transfers to a D2 school, gets drafted, pitches at four levels in his debut season at 25 years old, which doesn't happen to anybody to get drafted in the 40th the final round of the draft and then go pitch out at four levels in your professional debut season put up an era of 1.47 i'm you know that story will always have a special place to me but i really feel like that's another really cool one yeah no i i I, when i first thought of the question too i thought of your story so i'm glad you brought that up um but yeah that's the great thing about the minors is that there are just so many prospects definitely um you know that there's just so many people in general all from different backgrounds that there are so many stories and even if they're not necessarily success stories the fact that they got to play professional baseball is in itself kind of a success story um so they don't all have to have the happy endings um like you know the rookie or something of the majors and walking off a major league mound or a major league uh field for it to be a success story just getting there enough is a success strike three this week sam uh the comments on your story your most recent story at least stuck to what the actual story was from monday which is farm system rankings about pitchers there's one comment on that story it's actually about a pitcher there's no how can you leave Corey seager and byron buxton off of this this is unbelievable so at least there's a step forward in that regard yeah so that's that people are reading i guess that's a good thing um yeah they they understand (laughs) what i'm talking about uh, the one comment I have has a has a problem with my White Sox evaluation, which is fine. I mean, I think anybody is going to think their team is underrated. Uh, I have the White Sox at number 19 just because, you know, we don't really know what Carson Fulmer is going to be yet. And they have some other guys who could fit into the back ends of some rotations, but not not any really top, top talent unless you think Carson Fulmer is a future, you know, number one, number two starter. Uh, probably number two going behind Sale and right next to Radon. Um, if that's what you think his ceiling is, then you're going to be high on him. If you don't think that's what his ceiling is, you think it's going to be a reliever, and that's just not as big an impact. So um, they don't have that necessarily consensus top, top talent that other teams do or the depth that other teams do. But everybody has their feelings about this kind of stuff. That's why it's rankings. It's fun. It's fun to talk about. 
there are so many good systems. There are just a couple of great systems. So take us through what stands out to you most about the Dodgers and the Braves who check in at number two and number one. Yeah, when I when I was doing this, I immediately thought, okay, which way am I going to lean between the Dodgers and the Braves? And then everything else, I'm just like, that'll fall into place as I go. I mean, either you have, you know, you can pick nits, whatever, nit nitpick. Um, but I like that phrasing, pick nits. It's like the active. Nits. I think that's what it actually means. Is like, yeah, you always say nitpick, but I was nitpick. like, no, you're picking. It's like nits. the active way of doing it. Yeah, exactly. You're picking nits. Uh, I'm gonna start using that. But yeah. The, what it came down to for me is the Dodgers have two potentially very, very good – they're very, very good prospects. And they have two very, very good potential starting pitchers in, as you mentioned before, Julio Urias. And then there's Jose De Leon, who's just a strikeout master. Um, and then you go from there. They have some interesting pieces in Grant Holmes, who didn't have that spectacular of a Class A season last year, but it was his first season. Everybody agrees he can build on it. Scouting reports are are pretty high on him still. Frankie Montas, who I really like, has a very, very good fastball. Could be a reliever, but if he's going to be that, it'll be a very good reliever. Injured now will be out, I think, two months, but I got another guy to watch. And then 2015 first-rounder Walker Bueller coming out of that Vandy system of pitching that has produced really, really good arms of late. So there is some interesting things there, but it really comes to, down to the top talent for the Dodgers. On the Brave side, the reason I gave them number one is I just went through their system and was like, okay, their top prospect is Sean Newcomb. Pretty good. He's not. He's neither Urias. He could be right on that level with De Leon. Um, certainly a durable guy. Okay, they picked up Aaron Blair. Everybody is in agreement that Aaron Blair – is a very solid number three, number four starter going forward. It's not that he might turn into that. That's his ceiling. That's his ceiling and almost his floor. I mean, there's really no wiggle room in there. He just looks like a very sturdy guy. Uh, he has a previous history of striking out a lot of guys. Hasn't really done that at the double or triple A levels, but he is a very reliable person. And then I just kept going through, and there's more and more pitchers I like. I really like Tyrell Jenkins. You know, he could be a reliever someday, but he definitely slots into a four or five spot. Uh, Lucas Sims, same thing. Mandy Benuelos has already been in the majors and seems to have turned it around after being a top prospect in the Yankees system. Uh, Max Fried is coming off Tommy John surgery, but was one point the top pitching prospect in the Padre system. Colby Allard was a high pick, and scouts seem to really like him. I mean, this is just a team that is just trying to throw pitching at the major league level and see what sticks, see what shakes out. And if nothing else, they are going to have at one point, you know, we're going to look at uh, their pitching staff and it's just going to be homegrown talent after homegrown talent. And I kind of, as much as I really think Julio Urias would be that top pitching prospect in the Braves system and would make them better, obviously he's going to make them better. Um I really, really like the depths that the Braves have because that's what you're looking at when you're talking about development. If you have so many more guys that could potentially turn into something, then you're more likely to get a hit on somebody like Newcomb or Blair or Benuelos or even Tuki Toussaint who has you know some work to do. Um, but the pressure's off and that he's no longer the guy that has to has to bear the entire system. Um, so that that's why I put Braves one, Dodgers two. But it was you know. Braves won very close space to Dodgers two, and then a pretty big gulf to the Rays at three, Reds at four, and then uh, Nationals at five, as much as I like Lucas Giolito. The quantity versus quality debate is always 
uh, especially when it comes to impact pitching, is always a, a really tough thing to nail down. When you're the Braves, and to a little bit lesser extent, you're the Dodgers, and not only do you have a large quantity of impact pitching, but it's elite level impact pitching. It isn't just, oh, these guys are going to be effective mid-rotation starters. There are multiple frontline guys in each organization, and that is scary for three, four, five years down the road for opposing teams in those divisions. Yeah, and, and for the Braves, I mean, I think they've kind of realized that, that you know, if we're going to be a rebuilding team, uh, it starts with the rotation because as we've seen this offseason, you know, Zach Renke, David Price both go for over $200 million in, in contracts. Uh, pitching can be expensive, and if you have those guys in your system for five, six, seven years um, at the major league level, that mean that frees up so much more money that you can spend elsewhere. And, you know, Newcomb is one of those guys that, you know, by the time he becomes a free agent could be – if he hits his ceiling, could be you know an easy uh, nine-digit you know contract. Don't let your kids play football. Don't, don't let your kids play football. <laughs> don't Not this don't let your kids grow up to do anything and other than throw baseball very too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so go check out the site. It is uh, milb.com. That story is there. If it has Sam Dykstra as a byline, it's phenomenal. So go read it now. Uh, you can follow Sam on Twitter, by the way. He is at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Uh, and we are going to pivot to this week's interview segment, which is one of the ones that I think we are probably proudest of going into. We just finished it up a little bit ago with Dom Smith, who is the number two ranked prospect in the New York Mets organization and MLB.com's number 51 overall prospect. This was a ton of fun. I mean, this is one of our real standout conversations. Dom was a real, real load of fun to talk to. Yeah, no, I'm very excited for what the people are about to hear. And uh, I was happy he was able to join us and join us for so long. It's a it's a good long interview, but I don't mean that in uh, in substance. I mean that or I don't mean that just in time and that it's going to be like the Oscar show and just long and drawn out. It, it, there's lots of substance here. So enjoy everybody who's about to listen to it. Dom Smith next. The New York Mets obviously coming off of a very, very exciting 2015 season and headed into 2016. Uh, maybe just as excited or more for this campaign than the one that has just passed. And a guy who figures pretty heavily in the future plans of the New York Mets is the left-handed slugger Dom Smith. Dom, welcome to the show. How is Florida treating you so far? Uh, thank you guys for having me. And, uh, Florida's treating me pretty well. It's uh, all you're getting from good weather, so. I'm really happy about that. I guess I should clarify. I know I talked to uh, some guys who have played around you in the Arizona Fall League. They all call you Dom. Dominic is your full listed name on Baseball Reference and MILB.com. What do you go by? What do most people call you? Yeah, most people call me Dom, Domo, Nick, or uh, <laughs> Nick. You get that, Nick so. in there too. Yeah, I get Nick. Mainly that comes from my mom. She okay. Nick, so. There you so, go. Uh, but besides that, everybody calls me like Dom or Domo. Well, let's we'll go with Dom for this interview because I feel like a mom's okay. nickname is way too exclusive for us. But that segues us very well into yeah. one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you. And um, you've been one of the guys who's been on our radar for a while. But there was a really, really cool story about you and your family in The New York Times uh, just this past weekend and um, the, your relationship with your mom and, you know, being able to live around family over the last couple of minor league seasons and all that kind of stuff. Uh, before we get into specifics about the story. What was that experience like for you guys to kind of, you know, open the New York Times, see yourself, uh, you know, you're on the website, the big color photo of you at camp and pictures of you and your mom and your dad and all that stuff. What was that like to to kind of get this big exposure over the last few days? Oh, yeah, it was an amazing feeling, you know, 
I'm just so blessed to be able to even do a story and a piece and a piece like that and, and let people across the world uh, a little uh, insight about me and my family. So um, I saw a tremendous opportunity and I'm thankful that New York Times even gave me that opportunity to even to even do that piece and I'm just glad the piece turned out uh, really good and I'm just really happy because a lot of people get a, a different uh, understanding and a different feel for me. So um, uh, it's just been a very exciting uh, last few days. And uh, Dominic, let's kind of get into the the nuts and bolts of the pizza a little bit. Um, I think as Tyler mentioned, you know, your family moved out with you to to Port St. Lucie. One of the the big um, things you, may, you you bought after you got your bonus after being after being taken in the first round was a was a nice big house in a gated community outside Port St. Lucie, um, where the Mets had their spring training facility. Uh, how important was it to just kind of have your family coming coming with you through that process, going through those first couple seasons, especially for a guy coming out of high school like you were? Yeah, um, growing up in inner cities, uh, I saw how hard my parents worked and things of that sort, and, and what they did for me and all the sacrifices they made for me. So um, obviously, uh, they they got me in this position to do what I do and and to, to be able to get drafted and stuff like that. So uh, my biggest thing is uh, I wanted to uh, to move them out of the inner city and, and, and be able to uh, live very comfortably and have a good time and be able to follow me along my career. I mean, uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of my league stories that are out there that uh, that tell the, the the real about the minor leagues about how tough it is and um, the long road trips and being away from home and stuff of that sort. So. Um, I'm glad that I'm able to have them around and and come see me play all the time. I mean, it makes me uh, it makes it easier on me to go out and play baseball, knowing that they're around or I can see them every once in a while and see them uh, pretty often, actually. And can you remember a specific time, you know, throughout your career so far? Maybe I know last year you started out a little tough, um, starting out there in the Florida State League. Um, I'm sure it helped to have the family around then, but can you think of a specific time when it really helped to have your mom around and your family around just to kind of lean on them? Yeah, I mean, um, it was definitely last year. was my biggest year. I mean, even the Savannah, I mean, I thought I, I fared pretty well and stuff like that, but um, going and playing and having an okay year in Savannah, um, I really look forward to making a big stride in, in 2015. So uh, when I went on to St. Lucie and I started slow, I mean, it was, it's tough. I mean, of course, it's tough uh, starting slow first month, first month and a half actually to to be putting up those numbers, especially uh, coming off just a uh, you know K campaign instead of fourteen. So, um, just their support and and uh, and the way that that they just showed me love and their energy just really helped me not focus on the numbers and the results and and it really just got me back to just having fun with the game and stuff like that and uh, keeping me positive every day, day and night because. I mean, if you're somewhere far from your family, it's hard to stay positive coming home to just a roommate and and stuff of that sort. I mean, of course, I mean you're young and uh, it can it can be really really tough to stay positive on your own. And so, I mean, having them around, they just kept me positive, kept my mind off of it, and things quick. So, I mean, they they really did help me a lot. 
Tom, your mom's story is pretty incredible, and it was covered uh, at length in in that piece in the New York Times this week. And for people who didn't get a chance to read it, I really recommend you go read it. It's a fantastic article. But uh, your mom, Yvette, when she was in her 30s, had a couple of kids, uh, was battling some drug and alcohol issues, and your grandma um, took those kids away from her, and then she found out she was pregnant with you. And there's a quote in this article uh, where your mom said, quote, I was pretty sure I was going to terminate my pregnancy. I just wanted my other two kids back. I couldn't worry about a third baby and then you were that third baby and now this is the life that you've been able to help uh your family get to this incredible house and you're chasing a major league dream and all that stuff to to see that i mean to see in print you already know your mom's story but to kind of are you able to step outside and realize you know what all she's been through and the the incredible strength that that takes to raise a kid like you to go after something like this i mean what can you say about your mom and that and that relationship knowing what all she's been through and now that you guys are so close to something as amazing as you being in the big leagues yeah i mean it's 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 so amazing uh how strong she is and she's uh she's really my inspiration i mean she she taught me so much um and uh it's just off the charts i mean a lot of people who meet me just always say i'm a nice kid and stuff like that but i mean i give a lot of credit i mean she raised me the right way so that's why i act what i act but i said another quote that she left out that i mean she put me this one I was 12 years old, which uh, I don't know if she told the writer or not, but the quote was uh, uh, when she was pregnant with me, God, she said, God told her, have this baby and he will be great. She told me that at 12 years old. As a 12-year-old, he's out uh, hanging out, watching cartoons, um, not really thinking about much, but um, you're not really thinking like I'm really going to be somebody uh, special or something like that. And then um, just luckily I got into baseball and she told me at 13, 14, like, I feel you would be great because God said that, but I'm not saying you'd be great playing baseball, but you, your name would be great. I don't know if it's going to be great by you being the best lawyer, the best doctor, best firefighter, the best whatever, but uh, I just want to keep you in positive things, and I know God will reward, reward you and uh, and the family as well. So, when she kept me in baseball, and sure enough, I mean, I get drafted and stuff like that, and and and, uh, and that's why I, I, I try to do as much as I can for her because uh, without her, I wouldn't be in this position. For people who don't know Dom's story, Dom actually uh, grew up in South Central Los Angeles, and you made the the reference to moving. It wasn't like you moved from you know Miami to Port St. Lucie. It's a cross country move. And uh, and your mom said also in that story that was something really important to kind of keep you grounded and make sure that it was it was all about baseball. It was all about doing work. Um, to come out of an area like South Central, I mean, Major League Baseball has made such strides over the last decade plus or so of really trying to get baseball back to where it's a, a very viable thing for kids in the inner city um, and to know that you came up in, a, in an era where that was really emphasized from MLB and took advantage of the, I would imagine, pretty enhanced scouting of, of you know, tournaments where you're playing or, or various competitions where you're in action. Um, what has that been like for you to, to kind of be able to recognize that uh, that provides a pathway? I mean, w- when you get drafted and you sign a deal and you go into the minors and start making that climb, other kids see that. I mean, other guys who are growing up in that area or growing up in, you know, inner city wherever now see that as a pretty viable option how cool is it to have that as a baseball background for you now going into this stretch as you climb toward the upper minors yeah, it's definitely cool um having that um 
having that right there because there's a lot of kids when I go back to Kansas City and stuff like that that know me. If they play baseball, they pretty much know me, know my story and, and that such. And um, they're, I feel like their dreams kind of shift from uh, from whatever they wanted to do to what they really, really want to do, which is be a professional baseball player. And I mean, before it wasn't too many kids who grew up in my area who really wanted to do those things. I mean, basketball, football are way more popular in the inner city. And I mean, now uh, a lot of kids are way more interested in baseball and seeing what I did and uh, what Dylan Tate did, who was the fourth overall pick, and, and Tyler Mark, and who just got drafted by the D-back, Marcus Wilson, D-backs, and something around J.P. Crawford. Obviously, we all came up and through the same program. Um, so they they could, they see that uh, you can come up in the inner city and, and go uh, play professional baseball. So it just gives them a lot of hope. And if like, getting drafted – I really didn't know what type of impact or what kind of impact I really did make on the inner city. But when I came back and reading all the articles and seeing all the kids, how much everybody was proud of me, I really finally sat back and, and soaked it all in and thought that what I did was a very, very big achievement. It wasn't just something normal, you know. So uh, it's, it's a big feeling, and I always go back and I try to help out. And when you do come from that kind of background where you, you feel like you're showing kids in, in that area, um, you know, South Central L.A., um, that it is possible, do you feel like you are carrying any extra pressure with that or you're trying to, you know, forge a path for them, show that show that it is possible? Does there anything kind of added to your back when you're coming from that kind of – from that route? Yeah, of course. I mean, I want to I wanna, I wanna get to the big leagues and, and play and perform well because – I represent obviously me and my family, but where I come from as well. So, I mean, for them to see me play in the big leagues would be amazing, and it would give up the interest even more, and they'll get even more passionate about it because that's that's the real proof. I mean, playing in the minor leagues and drafting the first round is good, but to be able to play in the big leagues and, and kids see me every day, and they'll look at me and say, "That's Dominic Smith. He went to Sarah High School in LA and stuff like that." And it just gives a lot of kids a lot of hope and inspiration. So uh, I just want to be a role model to the kids coming up. And I just want to let them know everything is possible. If you follow your dreams, chase them, and work hard, and just have fun with it. And um, just kind of pivot to, you know, what you are as a baseball player coming off a year. Uh, you know, Tyler mentioned before, just a really solid Arizona Fall League campaign. You were the MVP of the F- FSL last year. Um, part of a rising stars team in the AFL. Uh, everybody likes to talk about your hit tool. You're your 300 hitter last year with St. Lucie. Um, but going forward, everybody talks about adding a little power in terms of being a first baseman. Um, how are you kind of looking at this year? You're going to probably be tackling double A in Binghamton. That's usually a big jump going from high A to double A, one of the biggest in the minors. Uh, you know, how are you kind of tackling this spring training and pre- preparing for that jump to double A? I'm preparing for it really well, and um, I just worked on a few things and I was feeling my head and stuff like that. And I figured out my swing. I mean, it took it took a while, and of course, everybody develops at uh, different paces. But uh, things started to click for me, and I started to figure out a lot of things about myself and my swing. And um, going into Double A, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, it's another year. I'm smarter, more experienced, so I'm stronger. So. Um, playing up there, I mean, you can see the home run, home run uh, uh, total uh, increase a little bit. So 
Um, I'm very excited about this year because I just want to get out there and show everybody what I can already do. I mean, last year, from the middle to the end of the year, just a little snippet about what I can do now. I'm going into a full season and I'm feeling really good and um, still improving from the fall league, which I just got done playing a few months back. So um, I'm just really excited about that. And I just, I'm eager to get out there. I'm eager to get out there to show what I can do. So we'll see. Uh, uh, how everybody uh, feels about my uh, my uh, season at the end of the year, and hopefully it's a good one because I worked really hard and uh, I already <laughs> just worked my butt off. So. And there's one thing I, I kind of want to touch on before we let you go. You, you mentioned in there everybody kind of develops differently. Um, you know, when you're a first baseman, everybody expects the power to be there early. How do you feel that that – particular tool is kind of developing with you and how are you kind of working on or what what have the Mets had you working on to to kind of spur that development in terms of power? Yeah, the Mets, I mean, the biggest thing the Mets wanted me to work on or worry about is not worrying about the power at all. I just develop as a hitter and uh, get my hits and hit my doubles. They always tell me the double will turn into home runs. Trust me, so trust the process and that's all I've been doing. Uh, every year, day in and day out, I just trust the process, whatever they teach me, I try to implement it to my game. and I try to just go out there and just play as hard as I can and, and, and just learn. And I feel like I learned a lot as a hitter, and I'm still continuing to learn uh, a lot as a hitter. But I feel like um, this year uh, I'm putting everything all together. So, I mean, the Mets are really excited about my progression, and they don't talk much about power numbers. Their biggest thing is telling me don't worry about it. Every time I see a hitting coach or coordinator, they always tell me don't worry about hitting the home run. It'll come, it'll come. So finally, they're happy. I'm happy, and uh, and I and they're happy. So I'm really happy. Dom, last thing for before we get you out of here, um, I wanted to ask you this question for a while because uh, I went down to the Arizona Fall League um, pretty shortly after. Actually, I think uh, your time ended down there, but you wrecked the AFL. Fourteen games, three sixty two average, nine ninety four OPS. Um, so it's obviously a really successful stint. But I want to ask you about something else. Independently of anything, um, when I was down there, I interviewed two different players who brought you up as the guy they loved talking to and learning from the most: Jordan Patterson of the Rockies and Rowdy Tellers the Blue Jays, who are both teammates of yours on Salt River. Um, and that was something that it just, you know, I didn't lead into it with any question about like, hey, who around here do you think we should keep an eye on? They just brought you yeah. up as, I really love talking to Dom Smith. I really love learning from Dom. What does that mean to you to know that you you command that respect and that admiration from your peers and guys who you're not necessarily going to see a lot of going forward in your career? I mean, one's in the National League, you know, in, in a different division, one's in the American League. Um, but guys who just kind of gravitated toward you, that's got to be a really cool feeling. Yeah, it's a really cool feeling. I mean, you just said that and just getting chills. I mean, I played with uh, Rowdy throughout high school and stuff, and, and uh, I know him pretty well. Same with uh, Patterson and I mean, those are two two great, uh, really really good left-handed hitters. Two really good left-handed hitters who have a feel for hitting and, and have a feel for for seeing what pitches I kind of do to them and executing them real well and not missing the pitches and hit for average and power. So um, I love I love talking the game and I love talking hitting it. Uh, I'm a student of the game myself. I mean, whenever any a big leader comes down or anybody hitting coach, um, I love talking about baseball. I just feel like that's the only way you can learn is if you talk about it and you talk about your mistakes and what you think. And if you're, if you're always ahead of the game, I feel like the numbers will, will show uh, at the end of the day. And um, 
and we we all love talking head with each other and I love our two two smart hitters as well and I learn stuff from them all the time and that's how I that's pretty much how I learn to hit. As well as left handed hitters, I see how they pitch them, we discuss what they do to them and I take that up to my dad and I try to execute and I tell them what they did to me and I feel like that's why we uh, we all do pretty well because we all are like baseball junkies. We love love talking the game, and I feel like if you can talk the game and and keep learning every day, you just keep being able to put up uh, good numbers and and have a successful uh, year. Dominic Smith is on Twitter. He is at TheRealSmith22. You can follow him there. And if you're a Binghamton fan or if you're a Las Vegas fan, get excited because you got a, a really fun one on the way to you here, hopefully, in 2016. And Dom, this has honestly been one of our coolest interviews, man. And, uh, again, if you haven't gotten a chance to read the New York Times story, go check that out as well. Dom, we cannot thank you enough. And uh, best of luck in uh, in big league camp and on through to, to April and opening day. Well, thank you so much, you guys. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I mean, anytime. Benjamin Hill returns to the show before the show podcast, episode number 48, and uh, promo schedules. We're in the thick of all that. We're in the thick of the run-up to the first promotions of the 26th season. Welcome back, Ben. What's going on? Hey, good to be here. (laughs) (laughs) What is that that you just cracked open? Oh, uh, we'll leave it to the imagination of our legions of listeners. I won't diverge any secrets. Either. Okay, yeah, no, don't ruin it for us. We're all going to imagine Ben with a beverage of our of our own choosing, not even of Ben's choosing. Let me um, just say that you should have zero clue. Ah, <laughs> I got it. It's booze. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> ben, uh, we there's real news regarding lazy rivers in baseball. First, it was a first it was a like a seed, and then it was a dream, and now it's a reality. The Frisco Rough Riders are actually going to have a lazy river in the outfield. That is a real, actual thing that is happening. They've actually started work on that now as well. Correct? Yeah. Who knew? I. I've been caught off guard by this story a little bit. I mean, I've been aware of it from the start and, you know, did a blog post about this week and actually talked to Chuck Greenberg, the owner of the Rough Riders, just earlier today to expand into a kind of follow-up article. Because the point is, is this news that there's going to be a lazy river in the outfield of Dr. Pepper Ballpark, um, the Frisco Rough Riders home, has just been probably the biggest viral story of the minor league baseball offseason, you know, from the uh, promotions and game operations side of things. It's uh, really capturing people's attention just to have a huge lazy river at a ballpark, you know, with with waterfalls and a view of the game and uh, cabanas with food and drink. And I think something about this really appeals to people to have that sort of environment all in one place within the ballpark. Um, It's unprecedented. And uh, I'd like to think that other teams are going to do it, but you need a ballpark like Dr. Pepper ballpark with the square footage to construct such a thing, you know, that was going to be my question is we, it's kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, it's like in college sports, I always talk about the facilities arms race between, you know, when, when Oregon has an iPad at every locker or Alabama does this or whatever it is, minor league baseball, it's similarly structured, I guess the way that teams always try to outdo one another. What do you think the next thing is going to be? Cause a lazy river, 
seems like an idea that other teams would want to mimic, but also kind of seems like the thing that Frisco did at first. Now, this is going to be Frisco's thing. Do you really want to be the next team that goes, oh, we also have a Lazy River? Or do you think somebody's going to come up with something that'll be different and maybe even a little bit more daring than a Lazy River at a ballpark? Well, it's kind of hard to imagine topping that at this at this juncture, you know, um, to take something you know, bigger bigger than an Olympic-sized swimming pool and put it in your ballpark is uh, not something that everyone can do or or people can just immediately be in like, ah, they did this, they did that, you know, here's our one-upmanship. I think people are going to have to settle into the lazy river reality and maybe think about their own if, if they have uh, that opportunity. And, you know, when I was talking to Chuck Greenberg earlier, he said, you know, I don't think we can top this. He said, I think this might be, you know, my drop the mic moment. So it it might be one of those things that's just unique enough and spacious enough that you can't really top it. You can maybe improve it. You can maybe move on to other areas of the ballpark and do other previously unconceived of things. But I don't know how much in terms of the aquatic ballpark environment, I don't know how much you could uh, top a lazy river. Where exactly did the idea come from other than they just have the space? You know, it, it's kind of been building to it a little bit, you know, with the, the D-backs have a pool. The Jaguars have something similar with a, with a pool. This is just a bigger pool. It's a river. You know, it's not just one stagnant area. But where did this idea come from for Frisco particularly? Well, there was a previously existing swimming pool in the outfield at Dr. Pepper Ballpark. And last year, the first season under new ownership, the team did a ton of improvements to the stadium and the fan experience, you know, with the video board and the sound system and the new food and merch store and, uh, you know, bars in the in the stadium and all sorts of things. And so I think they were thinking, OK, we did a lot of improvements, but now what's next? How can we continue to improve? Because, you know, especially in a market like Dallas-Fort Worth, it's a sophisticated market. So how can we continue to impress the fans? How can we make them continue to feel like this is a new and fresh experience? And so then it became, well, how about we replace the pool? Or how about we expand the pool? And then it kind of grew from there. Well, what if we add a current to the pool? You know, what if we you know, do these architectural quirks? And it kind of, through conversation, turned from the idea of revamping the pool into a lazy river. Ben, before we switch gears, let me just ask, what is the process for people to be able to take uh, advantage of the Lazy River? Is this a sort of thing that the, the riders are going to sell to groups and to sponsorships and to clients and people who want to come in and take that? Or is it kind of a general admission thing? How do they keep it from – I would imagine – I mean, Frisco is one of the teams that in A especially really draws better than a whole lot of other teams at that classification. But you can't have 10,000 people lining up on a Friday night in April or May or June to all go ride in this Lazy River. How do they plan on ma- monitoring that? Well, it's going to be uh, six days of the week uh, when the riders are at home. It's going to be a group area. So it's going to be something that you book with your group, you know, 200 people or more um, kind of thing. So it's kind of funny with all with the Internet and all the blog posts and all the hyperbole and uh, all the uh, traction this has been getting online. You know, you see so many people in the comments and on Twitter kind of you know tagging their friends and being like, we must go to this. We must go to this. But you should really plan ahead because you either have to be part of a group uh, or on Thursdays, they're keeping, they're kind of using the Lazy River as part of the kind of uh, Thirsty Thursday party scene. So that's the day where you can get a single ticket. Um, I'm sure they're limited. They don't sell. Can't envision anything going wrong with that. Yeah, <laughs> right. Thirsty, 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 thirsty Thursday. Thursday. 
millennials, <laughs> singles. I'm just thinking insurance policy. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> this whole thing. Yeah, maybe you got to sign a waiver, but that's that's your uh, you know it's a package ticket. Um, that's your your way to get in without being part of a group. And then also, this is obviously something the team wants to use um, for event for for to root, to rent out in the off season or when the team's on the road. Uh, to host parties in, in that regard, uh, Chuck Greenberg was telling me they want to have maybe like Vegas style pool parties, as well as keep it open for uh, organizations and corporations in the area to uh, to rent out as well when the team's not at home or in the off season. So this is really going to it's still evolving, but it's taking on a life of its own, and it really is. Uh, it's I don't want to say the future of minor league baseball because how many teams can do this, but it is a very distinctive thing that no one else has done before and that it's it's really making a splash. And I don't even want to use that as a pun. No, I really no. don't. I don't even want that as a pun. It just kind of said out of your yeah, mouth, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It just happened. Second nature. Um, well, that's kind of an off-the-wall story as far as these things go, just kind of an off-the-wall promotion. But staying in that kind of off-the-wall beat, I guess, um, uh, baseball Twitter, baseball world, baseball logo Twitter, it's kind of up in arms this week over uh, – a new team moving into Savannah, kind of filling the void that left by the Sand Nats who are moving to Columbia. Um, the Savannah Bananas. Give us your kind of take on this situation with that. Well, I've gotten to know through the years the industry events, the winter meetings, and the promo seminar. I've gotten to know Jesse Cole, who is part of the uh, the ownership team of the Savannah Bananas. And he's a real creative person, really uh, you know, has his finger in the, on the pulse of the industry. You know, He's not involved with affiliated ball, but really networks a lot of people with, within that. Uh, has a lot of success with the Gastonia Grizzlies. So when I heard that he was taking over uh, Grayson Stadium, where the Savannah Sand Nats used to play before they moved to Columbia, where they'll be the Fireflies next season, I kind of thought, like, this is good. Grayson Stadium is an old stadium. Um, and the Sand Nats have left, and it could be easy to look at that market as kind of like, what are we going to do here? But I think the Savannah Bananas coming out with a name like that, with a front office like this, with an ownership group like this that really understands that the way they're going to get people into the ballpark in Savannah, Georgia, in an old stadium after the affiliated team left is to have a lot of fun with it. And uh, Savannah, it rhymes with banana. Savannah Bananas, it's fun to say. Uh, goofy logos designed by Dan Simon of Studio Simon, but not too goofy given that they're already called the Bananas. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they got they they went viral as well this week, and uh, I think they'll be an interesting team to watch. Uh, technically outside of our jurisdiction, but I'll still keep an eye on them. I'll still uh, you know look 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 through the peephole as it were. I uh, definitely made me Google what Georgia's banana production is, and I actually took the time to read a story about a university of georgia professor who is trying to like up the state's banana production so that was what i did with my uh, i think saturday night guys in case you were uh in case you were wondering what a cool life i have the thing that kind of strikes me about the the logo though uh dan simon from studio simon did it but it has kind of a brandiose feel we see so often we've talked about this on the podcast so many minor league teams have the you know the inanimate objects that are swinging a bat and they've kind of all got that sort of smile sort of angry grimace on their face it sort of has that feel to it which is surprising yeah it does a little bit more than some of dan simon's other stuff but you know he's a master of the anthropomorphic and if you go back you know the modesto nuts you can kind of see in the face of the banana a similar similar face to what you might see in in dan simon's modesto nuts um logo um 
So I can see some brandiose elements, but Dan Simon really has a style of his own as well. He, yeah, is a little less irreverent on the whole. I mean, he'll work with a team called the Nuts. He'll work with a team called the Bananas. But generally maybe a little cleaner and simpler and uh, trying to pack a little less information in sometimes. Um, but he, he does great work. And uh, Savannah Bananas, RIP Sand Nats, and uh, now we've given birth to the Bananas. Well, yeah, not, not, not we, era. but <laughs> I mean, what are you going to do when your team is called the Bananas anyways? I think this is as much as they could do with a logo like that. Well, the other finalists in the name of the team were you know, the Ports and the Anchors. Those are the other two finalists. And I was kind of like, you're really setting this up to be Bananas. Yeah. Ports and Anchors, two very similar you know, aquatic nautical references, is kind of saying like, yep, it's not going to be those. It's going to be Bananas. And uh, again, I think that's good. Uh, you know, the Sand Nats really had a lot of trouble drawing, which is one of the reasons they moved to Columbia. Grayson Stadium is beautiful and a lot of history, but it's it's tough operationally. It's 80-some years old. So to go in here and have success in this market, you really got to come with energy and spirit and a sense that we're going to make this fun, you know, no matter what, even if it is an 80-some-year-old stadium in mid-july in savannah georgia and again it's kind of out of our jurisdiction like ben said but the the coastal plains league those summer collegiate leagues they do a really good job being able to extend the life um and really bring back life to facilities like Grayson stadium i know there are a lot of towns a lot of cities that fit into that footprint of those collegiate leagues that maybe aren't suited to have minor league baseball teams but can have these collegiate league teams i think that's really cool um ben what do you have coming up next to the site um, well, yeah, I do have some more Lazy River stuff. Can't get enough of that Lazy River. Um, you know, I did the blog post on that earlier this week, but have a, a little bit more of an in-depth story kind of explaining how it came about because it did become such a phenomenon. Uh, still on the blog, uh, when I can, returning to my 2015 road trips, uh, my non-ballpark adventures as I gear up for uh, putting together my 2016 itineraries. And beyond that, we'll just kind of see what happens because things always tend to happen. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. You ever hear that? <laughs> no. You ever hear that one? It's pretty wise. Come for the banana talk. Stay for the John Lennon quotes. That was Lennon, oh, that's who it? said that? Wasn't it? Isn't that in uh, – That's what song is that in? It's in a Lennon song. Uh, I thought it was Nixon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Who knows? I could just be making it up. Uh, Benjamin Hill's on Twitter. He is at Ben's Biz there, and you can always check out the blog, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. And, yeah, we're we're into that stretch where now it's kind of not only are we actively seeking out things to do and writing stories, but you also kind of play defense of all the stuff that comes up. So undoubtedly there will be. That's a good, way to, be, that yeah. is a good yeah. way to put this time of year, playing defense. Absolutely. Yeah, everything just jumps out at you from You check nowhere. the inbox, and you're like, oh, man, I got to look at this, and I got <laughs> exactly. to this, and I got to make a note of this and I got to enter this into a spreadsheet and it's cool. It keeps you busy, but playing defense. Thank you. I like that characterization and keep tabs on, uh, on Ben's feeds as well, because promo schedules are coming out fast and furious from teams all across the country. And, uh, you know, for where there is a lazy river here, there will be something crazy elsewhere next week. So keep an eye on the site, keep an eye on Ben's biz on Twitter and, uh, Ben, we'll do it again next week. I greatly look forward to it. Dominic Smith, you can find on Twitter. He is at the Real Smith Twenty Two. Benjamin Hill again is at Ben's Biz. You can follow those guys there. You can follow the podcast through MILB. We are at MILB, and uh, let us know what you think of this episode because we had a ton of fun recording this one, and I feel like it's one of the ones that uh, really gets us into the season mood because it was some really really good stuff from Dom Smith. And and as far as Ben's conversation goes, now all I can think about is having a beverage and being in a lazy river watching a baseball game. 
<laughs> with a banana. With a banana. Why not? A frozen banana. A frozen banana. Sure. Uh, Chris Creamer, sportslogos.net, had an interview with uh, Mr. Simon, who designed that logo we were talking about a few minutes ago, and uh, made the the banana stand joke that that should be the merchandising uh, shop at Grayson Stadium, and then the Arrested Development, there's always money in the banana stand. Oh, so that come joke, on. I was going to say it. That joke is always, it's already taken, nobody else gets it. Uh, well, <laughs> Chris Creamer stole it from all of you. Sound, so there's that. <laughs> So, uh, big thanks again to Dominic Smith, who uh, that was just, I cannot get over how cool that interview was. And all the best to Dom as he uh, chugs along in that first major league camp. And uh, that's going to do it. Sam and I are both headed to camp. We were not we were not extended invitations to major league camp, but we're non roster invitees to minor league camps. Yeah, or something like that. <laughs> we're non roster invitees <laughs> to the non roster camp. Good. <laughs> that's good. always good. In case um, you ever doubted our baseball skills, that's. <laughs> That's even more doubting. But this weekend, Sam is headed to Florida. I am headed to Arizona coming up on Tuesday. And so the next episode of the Show Before the Show podcast will be coming to you from uh, places that are much likely warmer than wherever you are. So get excited for that. I'm fired up, though. Next week is going to be a ton of fun. Josh Jackson will be there, and uh, we're going to have a whole pile of fun next week. Yeah, hopefully you'll hear the uh, palm trees in the background from wherever I'm uh, potting from. Palm trees for you. Cacti. I don't think you can hear cacti, but... I don't think you can hear palm trees either, but I'm going to try to make it happen. <laughs> There's a good breeze. We're, we're going to bring some ambiance. <laughs> I can help. We're going to have to record outdoors in front of a pool somewhere. I'm not saying anywhere cool that's going to have like, you know, refreshing beverages or anything like that. I'm like in somebody's house for an Airbnb. Oh. So I'll have to bring the create... refreshing beverages. That's all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, ben, like the... ben did earlier today. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. We'll create the cactus and palm tree ambiance somehow. So we got that coming up next week. And MILB.TV games are just over a month away. So get excited. So we'll start plugging that soon, too. We're going to start doing that real soon, too. Because every time we lead into this final segment, I go, what do we have to plug coming up? Which is usually the way that we lead into talking about the games that are upcoming and the you know, prospects who are starting or whatever is going to be coming up on Milb TV. But, uh, yeah, soon we're going to be able to, to do that. So that's always a good thing. Uh, what do you have coming up next? Because soon we're going to have prospect primers. Those are going to be coming up toward the end of this month. So we have that on ta- on tap. Um, what is your next, uh, what's your next task to be tackled? Yeah, so we still have two more um farm system ranking type stories um they're not going to be so much rankings as more ratings um for this next two and then we'll have an overall wrap-up type situation um but this next one is going to be on under 21 talent um i'm going to give each system a grade uh based on what the quality of their talent under at the age of 21 and under um as of opening day and then we're going to do that with what systems are the best or look like they're going to get the most help from their farm systems uh, this year. So that'll be the the week after that. They'll be getting grades for that. And then uh, we'll do an overall wrap up uh, three weeks from now of what the uh, overall farm system rankings are. So that, that's kind of what I got on tap there. Um, And then just, yeah, looking forward to being on the backfields, talking to a lot of these guys that we uh, we get to talk to over the phone or over the podcast. And uh, yeah, 
when hopefully we'll have some video of that kind of stuff and definitely some podcast interviews as well yeah absolutely we're gonna get a chance to talk to a lot of guys we're gonna have a very fun next couple of weeks i've got a story coming up uh, next week on the site about the dissolution of the american association people know there are three class a advanced leagues there's three double a leagues used to be three triple a leagues until the late 90s when the uh, american association ceased to exist and they split those teams in the pacific coast league and the international league so i'm going to look back on that with some of the people who were involved with the the final days of the uh, the american association and what that meant for the AAA level of minor league baseball. So be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for the wrap-up to Sam's Farm System evaluations. And next week, we will talk to you from spring training. Cactus League and Grapefruit League action underway today as we are recording this on March 1st. And uh, we're excited for next week. You should be too because we're going to get to travel and you can live it vicariously through us. Uh, Sam is on Twitter. He's at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Live the Grapefruit League vicariously through him there. I'm on Twitter, at Tyler Mon, and uh, we're going to have a, a bunch of fun from down there. So when, next time we talk to you, we'll be from warmer climes, and we'll do it next week. Yeah.